Hello, you are about to listen to another episode of Beyond Clean, a podcast where we talk about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. I am your host, Dave Thompson. Yes, we are in Season 4. We broadcast out of Orlando, Florida. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything that is healthy, positive, and proactive. We would love to have you on the show, so reach out to me, D. Thompson at academyofcleaning.com or at 888-999-6059. Be sure to listen to our live streaming that we will be doing this year on Podbean. Now, for today's show, let's get started. Hello, everyone out there in podcast land. This is David Thompson. I am your host of Beyond Clean with Ace. This is our third live stream of 2020. And, oh gosh, if you've been with us, this is season four. Yes, that's right. Season four. We're so glad you're here. This is where the cleaning industry talks about everything about cleaning and other stuff. We're not going to talk about just cleaning this year as we have in the past. We've got a lot of different varied people. If you were with me earlier this week, we had somebody that talked about storytelling, marketing, and branding. Yes, that's right. And we've got another person on tomorrow. We'll get to that later. But today, we have a returning guest. And yes, he's going to be with us every month for the whole year. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Aaron. Dave, good to be with you. And uh, congratulations on a fourth season and the work that you do. It's very impressive. Okay, well, I lost Aaron there. I'm not sure exactly what, but we lost him. So, hey, this is a live show. We'll get Aaron back here in a minute. Uh, Aaron, whenever you get back on, just jump back on. I'm not sure exactly what happened there. Season four. And when Aaron gets back on the show, let me tell you a little bit about who Aaron is and Dave, you what got we're me doing. Now? There we go. We got him okay. back. Okay. Don't know what that was, but Okay. Hey, it's a live show, folks. Now you see uh, <laughs> technical things happen. So, Aaron, uh, who are you? Why are you here? And what's new for 2020? Well, Dave, uh, as you know, I'm a professor of management at Bradley University in Peoria, Illinois. And you and I have known each other for several years. And I've always been impressed with the work that you do. And it's a real privilege to be here with you. Uh, what's new for 2020? Gee, what isn't new for 2020? Uh, <laughs> we continue to... Uh, watch organizations grow and develop, and uh, we continue to see technology uh, change the way we live and act and uh, relate to one another. And um, I expect more of the same uh, as we look at the new year. You know, folks, uh, we'd let Aaron get off of the show just before Christmas was our last show together, Aaron. Yep. And we let you get off the show without telling people about your newest book. And I apologize about that. So before we get on with today's show, tell everybody about your latest book. All right. Thanks, Dave. The uh, book is called uh, Managerial Intelligence, A Clinical Perspective. And uh, it is really kind of based on about, well, I've been doing it for 35 years. And the gentleman I sort of inherited it from, he's been doing it since 1955. We've been working with executives and tracking executives and organizations and trying to understand why some people seem to be much more effective than others and uh, over that period of time we think we've learned a few things that are 
uh, uncommon. Uh, I wish I could tell you that it's uh, you know result of my efforts, but I'm really just the mouthpiece for a lot of really really bright, intelligent people who have passed along their smarts to me, and I just sort of try to package it and pass it along to other people. But it. Um, the biggest thing that we've identified, and I think this is always sort of interesting to people, is it's not, uh, it's not really in your DNA. It's in uh, the development that you've gone through as a human being. And particularly, some people have learned what we call the ability to function intelligently. Mm. And uh, yeah, and it's, uh, it's a unique form of intelligence. And you know what? If you think about it, we've all known somebody like this, right? Did right. you have somebody in your high school class and most of us did, right? We had some, but some, there was some kid we went to school with who was like off the charts in terms of their formal IQ. You know, it was the kid that you looked at and you said, you know, one of these days he's going to build a rocket ship in his backyard to go to the moon or something like that. I mean, just the, the kid was just a, a genius, mm-hmm. but had no idea or, or, or couldn't figure out, you know, how to get to the store and, and buy a, a, a comic book. Absolutely. My, mine was Bruce Martin. He was so intelligent, his red hair. But you know, the thing about it is he had a, a, a Mustang too. had everything in it. He knew exactly how to build it, but he couldn't drive the darn thing. <laughs> now, right. I love Bruce. I love Bruce because I could drive his Mustang. He couldn't. So I benefited. I mean, it was great. But you know what? He was so smart. He couldn't get out of the rain because it was raining. Right. And that's the thing that, that we're talking about. And so what we've noticed is that uh, what, what really effective supervisors, managers, leaders have the ability to do uh, is they can behave, they, they function in an intelligent manner. Jeff Bezos from Amazon recently made a comment where he said, you know, he said, I, I look at people's results. I look at their record and I don't worry about their resume or where they went to college or what their grade point average was. You know, I look at their track record, and then he made an interesting comment. He he said, you know, smart people can be wrong a lot of the time. Well, and if, you know, all you got to do wrong. is take a look at what's going on in our country, and I think everybody <laughs> looks at it and says, yeah, you're right. Smart <laughs> smart people can, you know, I mean, I, I assume these are smart people. You think they're smart people, and you think, wow, you're really you're really acting, you're behaving in a really dumb manner. So that's the way you sort of separate it out. And and so what we've spent, my colleague, Gene Jennings, who passed away a few years ago, and then, like I said, I inherited his work when I left Michigan State in 1989. Uh, we've sort of been on this path of trying to identify how do you develop within people the ability to behave, to act in an intelligent manner, forget what their background is, forget their IQ, forget their, their ACT scores or their <laughs> resume or anything like that. Why do some people just seem to be able to make the right decisions and other people don't? And that's kind of what the book does. It kind of goes into that. So thank you for the opportunity to do a, a, a cheap uh, plug here. <laughs> that's all right. Maze, I see that you're live on uh, line with us. If you have a question for Aaron uh, or myself, uh, you know, throw it at us. Uh, Aaron's going to be talking about management. Uh, he's been a regular contributor. His talks about behaviors and technology. Um, you also have a second book, Performance-Based Strategy. Right. Now, how do yeah. the two of these tie together, Aaron? And are we talking about the same thing? You know, yeah, we really are, Dave. Um, the first, and, and really, Performance-Based Strategy was the first book that I wrote with my co-author, Steve Fairbanks, who's just, again, one of those brilliant guys that I get to work with, like you. Uh, and Steve um, turned around four companies during his professional career and was 
He would walk into a situation where typically he was doing it like for a, a bank or a venture capital group or something. So they said, all right, we're losing money. This isn't going good. So fix it. And oh, by the way, you've got six months and we're not giving you any money. <laughs> we're not giving you any more. We're not giving you any more money because we're already losing money on it. Right. So he he had to figure out these these tools, these ways of being able to make sense of what was going on really quickly, and then okay. So based on what I'm seeing here, here's the decisions that we need to make. And I used to he and I worked together for about 13 years, and I kept telling Steve, you got to write a book. You got you got to put this out there because people can use this stuff. And finally he said, okay, I will if you'll co-author with me because he was using some of the stuff that I'd shared with him, and I. So it was put up or shut up time, I guess. And I said, okay, you know, let's do this. So right. those are really, uh, like I said, they're, they're tools designed to help people make decisions. And it's really written for people who are small business owners, entrepreneurs. They, you know, they can't go out and hire McKinsey and company for, you know, $750,000 to come in and do a study of their market for them. But they, they'd really like to have that information. But I don't have a lot of time, don't have money. How can I do this quickly? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of came up with these tools. Well... The tools help you come up and say, okay, from a strategic perspective, here's what I need to be doing. But, you know, strategies, I mean, I, and, and I'm a guy who teaches this, so I hate to sound like I'm ripping on my own area, right? But I, honestly, Dave, strate strategies are a dime a dozen. I mean, I can, I said, oh, you, give me a, you give me a reasonably intelligent human being, and about two days, we can figure out what the strategy is. That's not hard. No. Executing it is the hard part. Uh, you know, that, I, I, I was talking. I was talking with a guy earlier this week, and and all that June said is just get started. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest part. Yeah, yeah, and that's the link between the two books, is the ability to um, say, okay, you got a strategy. So what? So does everybody else. <laughs> all right. Now it's it's okay. What are you going to do with that? And now it becomes a question of how you're going to function. How are you going to behave? Are are you going to make decisions based on that strategy, or are you going to just sit there and say, "Oh, gee, I have a strategy. That's nice. I'll put it in a desk drawer," you know, or I'll hang it on my my office wall or something like that. If it doesn't affect the next interaction you're going to have with an employee or the next interaction that you have with a customer, then your strategy is basically just an empty intellectual exercise. Folks, we are live on Podbean Live. We are streaming. This is our third episode of Streaming Live. So we're going to be doing this on a regular basis through 2020 so that you can, you know, follow Aaron, follow our conversations. We're always going to talk about business and management strategies and people and behaviors live on Podbean Live streaming to you right now. Now, the last time we were talking, Aaron, we were talking about salespeople needing to utilize all of the different avenues and that technology out there. And if, I don't know if you had a chance, because we just did this Monday, but we had on the show Monday, a gentleman that talked about storytelling and telling a real story with video. And we're talking about, we're doing live streaming this is all about using technology that the janitorial industry doesn't know that they can use. Yeah, um, that's very true. Uh, and, and your guest was absolutely spot on. Uh, what I've told people many times is uh, don't, uh, don't, as a matter of fact, I, the way I phrase it to them is I say, don't develop a strategy. Tell a story. Because a strategy, a good strategy, is a story 
about what this company is going to do in the next 12 months. It's, it's, it's a story about who we're going to be, how we're going to get there, and what we're going to do in the next 12 months to make it happen. That, that's a good story. So tell people a story because, you know, the thing you got to keep in mind, too, is as human beings, we're hardwired to stories. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, we've, we've known that ever since the beginning almost of time, right? The, the earliest uh, storytellers, you know, the people who, who painted cave paintings, for crying out loud, those are stories, you know, trying to record our history. The, the First Nations people, the Native Americans in the U.S., uh, you know, who, who would record the history of the tribe on a, on a buffalo robe. It was, it was storytelling was the key. Um, I, have, I have friends who were ministers, and they always say it's a little frustrating because they said, you know, they'll do a 15-minute sermon on a Sunday, and when people walk out, they don't remember anything about the sermon, but they'll say, hey, that was a great story you told. And, you know, and that's the say, power. What, what about the other stuff? And he says, no, it's a great story, though, Pastor, you know, and they're kind of like, wow, what about all the other stuff I put in there? But, but that tells you something. As human beings, we're, right. we're wired to stories. Um, by the way, I saw a guy, think about this one, too. I was okay. watching a guy talking about... Um, how to do effective presentations. And he All said, right. you got to hook, you got to, obviously one of the things to doing an effective presentation is you hook your audience at the beginning. He said, so there's various techniques for doing that. One is you, uh, you hit your audience with a surprising fact that they may not have known. But All the right. other thing that he said is if you want to hook an audience at the beginning, he says, you walk out on stage, look at your audience and say, hey, I'm going to tell you a story. And as soon as you say that, he said, watch how instantly everybody leans in. It's like, okay, I don't know where this guy's going. I don't know what it's going to be about. don't know anything about it, but it's a story. And they want to hear the story. And, he, and the, the fact that that grabs human beings so quickly, to me, is further evidence of the fact that our brain is just, we hear somebody say, let me tell you a story. We're right there, boom, we're right there with them. So okay, I think so that, now, you know, if you're in the sales field, best thing you can do is collect stories. So now what you're talking about, this is a strategy for a speaker to his audience or her audience. And this is exactly what your first book talked about, performance-based strategy. I know a certain performance, a certain thing is going to happen based on the strategy of telling a story. Right. Now, that doesn't happen until I do that. The scary part is doing it the first time, doing it the second time. And now with the Rockstar program, after doing this all year last year, I can tell you exactly what is going to happen in the first hour of the Rockstar program based on the stories, the strategy, yep. and the performance. Yep, exactly right. Exactly right. Um, and you're talking human nature, which is your special thing, behavior. Now, how do we change the behaviors? Um, all right. So the, the first thing I got to do, right, is I got to get your, I do it with a story. All right. Now, the story has to be compelling. But the critical part about the story is it has to have a connection to the person. So let's go back to your sales rep for just a moment who's, who's, out there trying to deal with uh, a potential customer. Uh, mm -hmm. um, let's say I've got a, uh, I got a new school that I want to talk to about, you know, coming in and, and doing business with them. Now I can come in and I can say, well, you know, in the past our company has has been able to 
do this for 15 different schools and the type of program we, we bring in uses these types of products with these types of, of systems and these types of services uh -huh. and I can give you all that facts and data. I can blow you away with the facts and data and, and what we've done in the past. Or I can come in and I can say, gee, you know, your school is here in Orlando, Florida. You know, it's funny. We have, can I tell you a story real quick? We had a school up in Tallahassee. And they're very similar to your school. They got the same issue. They got the same kinds of things that you're dealing with. Their superintendent had the same kind of problems that you've got. And we went in and here's what we, now, I'm basically giving you the same information. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you what we did, how we did it type of thing. But in the one case, I was giving you a bunch of facts and figures. In the other, in the other case, and by the way, for anybody who's listening out there, you, you want to see the psychology of it? If I say to you right now, and where was that school? that they served. He goes, oh, it was Tallahassee. Okay, you don't know anything about, you don't remember anything I said the first time. But as soon as I said, I'm going to tell you a story about a school in Tallahassee, you remember Tallahassee. Right. Right? And here's the thing about human behavior. If it's not in our head, it can't affect our behavior. Okay, do that. Say that one more time for all the listeners out there. I uh, thank you for those people that have called in that may be chatting with us. Or if you're listening to a recorded version of this, I just want Aaron to go back over that because this is extremely important. So, Aaron, I'm going to give you, uh, let me see here. You know, this is fun because I love these, uh, these <laughs> sound effects that are, that are here. So, um, okay. That was your, did you hear that? I did. What's the cue? That's for <laughs> you to tell us again what that statement was. Gotcha. If it's not in our brain, if it's not in our conscious brain, it can't affect our behavior. No way. Can't be done. So you're, you're saying if I'm not thinking about it, so you're talking conscious brain, not my subconscious. That's right. Now, the scary thing is mm. the subconscious brain affects our behavior without our being aware of it. My wife, who's a psychologist, can give you could give you chapter and verse on that type of thing. But maybe we need manager, get, maybe we need to get your wife on here sometime. Uh, she'd be interesting because yeah, her some of her some of her experiences have <laughs> have been very unique. But um, as a manager, as a leader, it's got to be in your conscious thought. If it's not something that's in your conscious thought, it's not going to impact your behavior. Well, have you, have and, you ever, and, have and, you ever had do, the do, uh, Go ahead. Do, do Go ahead. we all, and so my question is, do we always think through the way we're going to behave? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, only only sometimes we're not aware of what we're doing. Have you ever had the experience, and, and, and I do this, and it's it's not a function of getting older, all right? I turned 63. <laughs> I turned 63 this year. I'm not getting older, okay? No, wait a minute. I turned 64 this year. I take that back. I turned 64 this year, but I'm not getting older. But have you ever had the experience that, that you're, you're working and you're doing something, and you think to yourself, oh, shoot, I need to go get my car keys. And now that became a conscious thought. You leave your office, you leave your room, you leave wherever you are, you go to get your car keys, you get to where your car keys are. And by the way, in the meantime, you're still thinking about what you were working on, though. So I'm working on this. Let's say I'm working on a, an article for a journal that I'm trying to write. And I think to myself, I look up and all of a sudden I see the clock and I think, oh, I got to leave in 10 minutes. I better go get my car keys. But I'm, I'm, I'm working on this article. So I'll leave my, my study here and I'll walk upstairs and I'll go to the bedroom and I get to the bedroom and I'm still thinking about the article. And I get to the bedroom and I go, now why am I standing here in my bedroom? 
You ever had that experience where you're someplace and you're trying to figure out, why am I here? What did I come here for? Uh, no, I'm not 64 yet. <laughs> you dog, I'll make you pay for that someday. <laughs> <laughs> come on, Aaron, you led me right to it. I had to follow. <laughs> if you've had that experience, and most of us have, right? If you've had that experience, you're, what you're seeing is the impact of that conscious thought. You had a conscious thought. I need to go get my keys. That conscious thought took you out of your, in my case, took me out of my study, took me upstairs to the bedroom. But as soon as I left, as soon as that conscious thought popped out of my mind, my mind went back to the, the paper that I'm working on, the article that I'm working on. And so that's in my conscious thought. And suddenly I get to the bedroom and the behavior was driven there. And I'm trying to figure out why in the world did I come up here? And I got to go back and I got to reach. Oh, yeah, I came up to get my car keys. That's why I'm here. Because... The conscious is driving out, but it's still controlling my behavior. It got me to the bedroom. So it's critically important as managers, as leaders, that we're keeping, we're holding these things in front of our people. And people, you know, managers say, well, geez, I've told them five times that they need to do this. Okay, they're still not doing it, right? So maybe you need to tell them six and seven and eight and keep telling it to them, keep holding it in front of their conscious brain until they get it, until they understand it, until it drives their behavior. Then you've got the other issue, which is, okay, now how do I take that, now that I've got that, I've created that behavior, how do I make it automatic? How do I get it into the pre-conscious mind? How do I turn it into a habit? And we know the old rule about you got to do something 21 times before it becomes a habit. But that tells you, from a leader's perspective, how much you got to work on this. You can't just go in and have a, a, a five-minute meeting or ten-minute meeting with your people and think, okay, good, they got it. Any questions? No, nobody's got any questions. Good, okay, everybody's got it. it that, that's naive. I mean, that human, the human brain just doesn't work that way. Well, that strategy by the way, doesn't work. By the way, that's the value of technology. All right? Because okay, so now we're going to bring technology. Before you do, i got a question to ask of you, though. Fire away. Is this not the problem when a salesperson goes to make a sales presentation that whenever the client injects whatever their thought to the presentation is, that then they suddenly lose track of where they are and they go off in and they never come back? And, you know, some people say, well, the, the you know, the salesperson wasn't listening to me. And I think that salespeople have a, an issue with not being able to work with both sides of what you're talking about because they do exactly what you said. They get yeah. off on something, they lose track of where they were, and then they can't close the sale because they forgot where they were. Right. That's the value of rehearsing, planning, a presentation. I, I mean, I hate to tell people this because we're almost over PowerPointed today, but that's the value of PowerPoints. They allow you to come back. You don't, you don't lose your spot. So if you've got a question about some particular area or aspect, okay, let's go over, let's talk about that for a moment. But now I have a way of being able to bring you back and get you into the flow of the conversation. Um, the other point I was going to make about technology is sure. with, with um, text messaging and, and automatic text messaging and automatic emailing and things like that today, we can have the meeting. I can tell you what I need you to do. And you know what? For the next two weeks... You're going to get a text message every day at 8 a.m. Hey, reminder, you need to do X, Y, and Z. Okay? And, you, yeah, they may look at it. Oh, yeah, right. Shh, delete. Right? But I put the thought in your head. 
Yeah, okay, I remember that. Yep, delete. Yeah, but I put the thought in your head again, right? And every time I do that, I'm embedding that idea in your stream of consciousness. And eventually, it's, you're going to take it, it's going to become integrated into your thought process. This is the way you're going to operate. So technology today really can help us from, I think, a, a managers, a supervisors, a leader's perspective. Because I can't be with everybody every day. I don't have time to have a 15-minute meeting with my staff every day. But I can sure as heck prepare an automatic text message that goes out as a reminder and just plug that into my system. And guess what? Every day they get a reminder and I don't have to worry about it. And people say to me, well, but yeah, they just look at it and then they delete it. Yeah, but the point is they had to look at it. Okay? So what's the, That's so all what's you're shooting the, for. So what's the difference of somebody reading a text and then deleting it? Or what is the difference of somebody letting it run in one ear and out the other? Um, your, your brain has to deal with the text. All right? The reason we say it goes in one ear and out the other, that, that's a, if you want to get into that discussion, that talking about how the conscious, well, talking about how the conscious mind works, okay? We pay attention to things for one of two reasons. All right. All right? There's only two reasons we pay attention to things. Either it feels good, it makes us feel comfortable, or it's useful. We look at it and think, okay, this might help me do something. This, this is, but, you know, you've heard that old phrase, right? That it's, you know, what's in it for me? Mm-hmm. That's true, but you have to understand, as human beings, how do, we, how do we analyze what's in it for me? And the what's in it for me comes in one of two ways. Either I hear something and I think, all right, I can use that. that mm-hmm. That's helpful. Or I hear right. something and I think, oh, I like that. That, that feels good. Okay? Yeah, the feeling. Yeah. So it's those two things, right? Usefulness and comfortability. Now, the human brain instinctively wants comfortability. That's our natural condition. Right? First and foremost, above anything and everything else. We want to feel good. Then we'll try to figure out whether or not this is useful. But in a battle between, is this helpful or do I like this? Like is going to win every time. The emotions are going to win out over the intellect. Okay? So, if you're, if you, if you ever, again, here's another very human situation, okay? You're, um, you're, you're watching some sporting event. And we're down to the last 30 seconds, and your team is behind, but they got a good chance. You're thinking, oh man, they're on the they're on the three yard line, you know, with a chance to score, or else they've they've got the ball in basketball or something like that. Man, we got a chance here. And you're watching it, and you're totally wired in to this game that you're watching. All right, you're you're totally focused. Now your spouse, your partner comes into the room where you're standing, and they say something, and you go, uh-huh, okay, but you're watching the game because it's 30 seconds. I mean, this is we're either going to win or lose, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, gotcha, right? And then the game's over, and you're excited because your team won, and you're happy, and you're celebrating, and your spouse or your partner comes in, and they got their coat on, and they're saying, all right, you ready to go? Game's over, you ready to go? And you look at it, you go, where? Go where? Yeah. Well, I, I came in five minutes ago and asked you if we could go to this restaurant as soon as the game was over, and you said yes. I did? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I came in and I talked to you. You, you, you told me that. And then here comes the great phrase, right? Don't you ever listen to me? <laughs> okay. Oh, don't get us into that one today, Aaron. Okay. Come on. And, but any of us who've ever had that experience. Now, now here's an interesting point about, about human physiology. You cannot not hear what that person said. Once those sound waves are shot out into the air, 
It's going to hit your eardrums. It's going to vibrate all those little bones. It's going to go to your brain. You cannot not hear what they said. But we hear with our ears, we listen with our brain. And the problem was, your brain was locked into the game. So you heard something, you, you, your body can't not hear it, but it never hit your conscious brain because your brain was tied up in the game. And so oftentimes as managers, you go in and let's say you've got to give negative information. Um, myself and a grad student and my wife wrote a paper on this. You got to go in and give negative information to them. We were talking specifically about millennials. Well, here's the problem with giving them negative feedback, okay? A, it doesn't feel good, so we've just blown the comfortability thing. And B, most people don't see criticism as being very helpful. So you go in as a manager and you say, hey, you know, with that, that sales presentation that you did yesterday or, you know, that, that meeting that you did for your people yesterday, you know, it didn't really go as well. And you're giving them a bunch of negative feedback and you think you've done your job. You've, you've given them good information that's going to help them improve. And then you find out a day or two later that it never registered with them. <laughs> hasn't, hasn't affected their behavior at all. Why not? Because what you told me wasn't particular, didn't make me feel good. And I don't really see it as being particularly useful at this point in time. It's not that they didn't hear you. But we hear with our ears. We listen with our brain. It and hit their conscious brain. And now to that, I want to tell you, we've been on the air for about 28 minutes, folks. I want to thank you for being with us. If you've joined in, we are streaming live on Podbean Live. We're going to do this every time this year. So at about 30 minutes, I want to give you a little bit of a break. If you want to go get a, a drink or you want to take a, a swig of that soda, uh, if you want to call in and you've checked in with us and you've been online and you were just afraid to call in, call in. Aaron and I would love to talk with you live on the air. We're on Podbean Live. Now, Aaron's going to be with us a number of times this year. We're not done today, so don't go away. If you're listening to a recording, don't hit the pause button. Just keep letting it run because Aaron's going to come back. We're going to talk about this a little bit more because, you know, I got a feeling well, I know Aaron, I know me. We're not done talking yet. So, <laughs> folks, you're on Beyond Clean Live. We're streaming live on Podbean. Now, let's see. Aaron, you're still there, right? I'm still here. Okay, so what you're saying, if I can paraphrase just a little bit and not get myself in trouble. Sure. That means I hear them whenever I say, repeat that, I didn't hear you. I did hear you, but I just didn't want to hear you. Right. You, again, separate hearing from listening. All right. Um, and, and by the way, it's real easy for me to do that because the word hear is spelled H-E-A-R. -E -E we hear with our ear, but you listen with your brain. So you cannot not hear. Once sound waves are in the air, you can't, you can't, they will physically affect your eardrum, your tympanic membrane, and all that other good biological stuff. <laughs> you cannot not hear it, but you don't have to listen to it. So Listening why is, so is, why is video, so why is video so important today then? 
because video now combines both the visual sense and the auditory sense. It gives us an image that our eyes can relate to that helps us marry that to the audio stream that's coming. And now we've got two senses that are engaged. The probability that the brain is going to pay attention to that, that the brain is going to apprehend that is absolutely, is doubled. It's, actually, it's more than doubled when we, when we add the, the visual cue because we, we are very visual creatures. We rely a lot on the visual cues that we get. Hey, incidentally though, you want another scary thought? No, my. You see, believe it or not, you see with your brain, not with your eyes. Now, now you know what? I was just thinking, because I had a question for you, because, um, and, and I hate to do this, but, uh, no. you know, we're, we're here in Orlando, and we've got a lot of international flavor of students that come into the academy. Mm -hmm. and, and the interesting thing I've noticed of my own self is that I can talk with somebody on the phone and it's hard for me to understand them because of their dialect and their, what I call broken English. It's not broken to them, but it is to me. Right. But yet when they get here in class and I can look them in the eye, I can hear them better. Right. Right. And that's what you're talking about here. And so this is why video and, you know, being a baby boomer as we are, we need to use both of those. Is this why the baby boomer still likes face-to-face? -face? I mean, you're talking technology, but... Um, no, I, well, I got news for you. Even the millennial wants the visual cue because, that, I mean, that's just... Now, 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 say that again. Say that again. Even the millennial wants the visual cues. Okay, so I put together a, a mini course on our Academy Online called Generational Communication. Yep. And that's exactly what I talked about, Aaron, because listening to you and talking with some other people on our podcast. Hello, Tina. Thank you for joining us today. Um, you know, the whole thing is, is we're not all so much different than we really think we are. Oh, no, 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 no. And, and uh, the bad news is, or the good news is, is I, uh, I guess if you want to look at it, that was people haven't changed in centuries. They really haven't. We, we define it differently because we have all of these different things. Tina, if you have a question for us, please enter it uh, there. Or you can call in and chat with either Aaron or I. The thing is, is we have all of these different outlets of technology. We need to use them with different people. But it still comes back to we are who we are. We listen with our ear. Man, hear, I forgot how you said it. We okay. hear. We listen with our ear, right? Hear with, hear with our ear. Hear with our ear. We listen because with our mind. Because hear and ear both contain the word ear. So I listen with my ear. No, nope, you hear with your ear. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing it right now, folks. Are you getting this? <laughs> well, hey, I mean, you know, this is it's live. So, I mean, it, you know, I, I mean, I'm not indifferent to anybody else. I this hear is, with my great. ear. I listen right. with my brain. Brain. And, and my I, eyes then more than double both abilities. Correct. Correct. Okay. And one more time. One more time. One more time. We hear with our ear. We listen with our brain, and our eyes double more than double both of those. When you add the visual cue, you've now you you have now more than doubled the information that that the brain can can deal with that the brain can apprehend. Okay. So this is when Jude was talking on Monday about storytellings, telling a real human story, and why he uses it, and it's so powerful. This is right. why. That's correct. Yeah. And if you can have one or two pictures that go along with the story, 
when kids are learning to read, why do we give them picture books? And what have we known for years in elementary education? I mean, I'm going back to when I was in now, and remember, I'm an old guy, back in kindergarten, uh, and I had the old, what we call the McGuffey readers, see Dick, see Jane, see Spot, Spot was the dog, see Spot run, run, Spot run. Why did they always have pictures in there? Because when I can match the visual cue to, in this case, by the way, the written word, it actually increases, it facilitates the learning. That's why kids get picture books. That's why comic books are so popular. That's why Japanese anime is, those books are so freaking popular. And I don't get it because I'm an old guy, but that's why it works. Because you met, when I was uh, in high school and we had to study French, they had us read the comic books. Because if you knew 50% of what the character was saying, but you could match that to the picture, you could figure out what the other words were. By the way, do you know when they teach English as a second language? You were just talking about international people coming to the Orlando area. When they teach English as a second language, one of the things they used to use as a tool was to say, well, here, read these comic books. Because if you knew a little bit of English, but you could look at the comic book, you could look at the panel, and you could figure out what was going on, you could, it helps you actually pick up the words that much more quickly. So this is why whenever, and you said PowerPoint, I don't use PowerPoint, I use Prezi. All the same difference yep. by what yep. some people say. I say there's total difference between the two, but that's another thing. Most of what I do on screen is with a picture, not with words. With a picture, absolutely. Yep. Because you they see the picture. the picture or they see the video, and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll show the video with no sound. They'll see the video, they'll hear me talking, and they listen better. Yep, exactly right. And now we know why. Yep, because you've engaged that part of the brain. You've got that. So, you've got that secondary part of the brain working now. So back to our salesperson making a presentation and getting the customer um, online with what they're talking about and what they've brought to the to the table that day. Yep. Should we be doing this always with a video or pictures or something in the presentation, and not just an item sitting there, or should we always do it with an item sitting there? Or do we need the item at all? Well, keep in mind, right? If, if the, you, how memorable do you want the presentation to be? The more of the senses I can engage, the more, the more powerful it's going to be. The, the greater the chance that you're going to be able to remember it and recall it. And again, if you can't remember it, if you can't recall it, it's not in your head, it can't affect your behavior. So if I come in and I've got a presentation, now, to, you're, you're making a great point here, though. If I've got a presentation, right. let's go back to my guy who's, who's trying to sell into a new school district, okay? Okay. Uh, the worst thing you can do, I don't care whether you're using, which software you're using, PowerPoint, Pressies, or whomever, no, the worst okay. thing you can do, don't ever put a sentence up there. Don't ever put a full sentence up there unless you want the audience to read it. And 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 that is explicitly the baby boomer. The baby boomer has to read every word that's on the screen. No, I, bad, here's the bad news. Millennials have to as well. <laughs> no, and this is a this is a fact. Once you become, here's the thing. Once you become a literate human being, you can't ignore a word if it's put in front of you. I by the way, I hate to tell people this sometimes, but I say, that's why billboards still exist. That's why billboards still work. When you're driving down the road, if your brain sees a, a word on a billboard, you can't ignore it. Your brain has to read it. 
Yes. Because you're a literate human being. Correct. So you put the word in front of them, they're going to read it. The danger is when you put a whole sentence up there and then you repeat the sentence. And some people say, well, you should do that because by repetition, it's not. No, because as soon as you put the sentence up there, they start reading it and they're not listening to you. So what the thing is, is if you're going to, so let's just stop with this one a moment. If you're going yep. to put the sentence up there, you have to give the person time to read the sentence before you talk. So be quiet, shut up and let them read. That's correct, because they're going to do it anyway. And the, as soon as their brain is engaged in reading the sentence, they're not listening to you. So then if so, I do put a sentence up there, then yep. I need to give them time. And then I need to say, did you read that? Did you understand what you read? Yes. Okay. And the only reason you should put a sentence up there is because you want them to read it. All right. If okay, so let's go on. Don't, you, don't, yeah, don't use a sentence to convey information. You put it up there because I want you to read that sentence. It, it has some, some part in this larger presentation that I'm trying to do. Most often what you should do is just have one or two key words. Right. And the, really, the key words are there to help you track through the presentation. I could care less about the audience tracking the key words. It keeps you on track. What they're going to remember is the picture or the image or the video that you have connected with that. They won't remember what your key words are, but they're going to remember that video or they're going to remember that picture. So if I'm the sales rep, let's go back to my sales rep doing this presentation. Okay. All right. So I'm going to get, and so we're going to get to the part where I'm going to talk about what our products are going to be able to do in your school system. I could tell now I could give you all kinds of facts about our, our, our products, uh, superior cleaning capabilities and and our uh, disinfectant properties and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or I can put a couple of keywords up there and then I can show you a picture of a classroom before and after. Or I can show you a desktop and I can have take a picture of a desktop and say, now here's where we came on and, and you know, look at, look at us. We tested the desktop before the cleaning and here's all these purple images because I used the biologically sensitive dye to show you how cruddy that desktop is. And here's a picture of that same desktop 30 seconds after we cleaned it. Right. Which do you think they'll remember? They're going to remember oh, those pictures. They're, they're going to, yeah. yeah, whichever one and probably both. I can, I can tell you, I can say, you know, our disinfectant has a 95% kill rate, you know, two minutes after application, blah, 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 blah right over their head. I can show you a picture of a desk that's 95% purple and then it's all of a sudden clear and clean. They'll remember the picture. Oh yeah, Every yeah, time. yeah, that, that stuff really works, right? It's the and they've never that. seen it, they've never done anything other than look at the pictures, they didn't hear what you said because they didn't know it was 95, they thought it was 90 or 100. 100, yeah. It, it's, it, it's the same information. One they're gonna remember, the other one's gonna go right through, pass right through. That's. That's what we've got to be sensitive to. I'll tell you the scary thing about vision. Uh, when I say, you know, we see with our brain. Uh, did you know that your eyes can't see motion? That usually shocks really, Now no, no, you're really, you're, not, you're really yeah. getting me. That usually, that usually blows most people's mind. They say, what do you mean we can't see motion? When I walk upstairs, I, I know I'm moving. When I drive my car, I know I'm moving. And... Uh, and this is fact. This is I've checked. Well, you, well, is, isn't it like moving pictures? It's like what they do. You see frames, but your mind uh, translates exactly. that into movement. Exactly. So when you're driving your car, your eye is focused on a point down the road. And then what your brain realizes is that the objects to either side of that point are getting bigger in the frame. Right. And your brain 
then says, oh, I must be moving. And now, you're, you're, you're getting the perception of movement based on the changes of the frames, not the movement. Correct. That's correct. Yeah, there's a, I, I, this is a really screwy thing, but it, it kind of really illustrates the point. Did you ever <laughs> see the movie Jurassic Park? No, with, never. With, okay. The, well, it was with dinosaurs, right? Yeah, which, 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 ver, which version are you talking about? I'm going back to the original Jurassic oh, Park. Oh, okay. Now, that, now, now you're, now, there, there you go. We know how old you are today. Yeah, the one that Steven Spielberg did. But he had a problem. And that was? You can't go out and get dinosaurs. So how are we going to do this? Well, they thought what they would do is they'd use the old motion picture technique uh, of claymation, where you make a clay figure mm -hmm. and then you move it in increments, kind of like the old cartoons were, right? And you take a picture frame by frame by frame, and this is how we're going to show that Tyrannosaurus Rex moving. Yeah, Disney so they, built Mickey Mouse on that. So we're going to do claymation. This was the whole premise behind it. So they did that. And they ran it through some test audiences. And the test, they said, what do you think? And the test audience said, those dinosaurs are fake. <laughs> they said, what do you mean they're fake? And they said, they're fake. They look fake. They're not real. And so now the producers and the director, they got a problem because we want to do a movie about dinosaurs. We can't get dinosaurs. And the people are telling us that the, that the movie's fake. So this is kind of, you know, if you're in the movie <laughs> business, this is sort of a basic problem. So they started talking to people. Uh, some uh, experts on, on eyesight, on vision. And they explained to them that when you see something moving, when, when you're watching uh, a runner in a football field, or when you're seeing uh, somebody throw a ball, or whatever it happens to be, in fact, what's happening is the edge of that image is blurred. Now, you don't realize it because you've been doing this all your life, but the edge of that image from an ocular standpoint has actually got a blur. So when they went to do Jurassic Park, they used, a com they used computer animation to create the dinosaurs. And mm -hmm. then, seriously, no kidding, they would wipe the edges of those images just slightly to blur them. And then when they showed the blurred, slightly blurred images to movie audiences, they said, oh, man, where'd you guys get those dinosaurs? How did you do that? Well, all they did is they adjusted the input that was coming in through the eyes. And that's why the eye is such a powerful thing. When you're doing a presentation, when you're, when you're adding that visual cue, as, lo as long as it aligns with the message, you're okay. By the way, notice the point here, okay? It's got to align with the message. Otherwise, well, that's fake. So, folks, you've been listening for 45 minutes to Aaron, Dr. Aaron and I on Podbean Live, streaming live, and we haven't used visual with you at all. We couldn't tell you a visual story right now, but I think you got the message. We've been telling a story. We've been talking about this. It's something we always do. Now, the reason we're using Podbean streaming live is because there's a number of us that, well, we're having to do what's called windshield time in the sales uh, business. And so we hope during your windshield time, you listen to us on Podbean live or wherever you get your podcast from, because we do record these. These will be archived. You can get those on the Beyond Clean with Ace uh, website. Aaron, we've spent our 45 minutes. We've talked about some technology, but we didn't have any. I didn't have any idea we were going to start really getting into eyesight and all this. So <laughs> is there anything before we leave today that's coming up uh, for you in the next 30 days or something before we get on the air with you again next month. 
Um, you know, not nothing that's that. I mean, I got a couple of board of directors meetings to go to, and I'm going out west to work with a, a healthcare group and things like that. And classes are starting, so we got all the usual stuff going on there. But uh, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. This is just a. I've, I've got the best job in the world. I get to I get to think about this stuff every day, and they pay me for doing it. So it's pretty hard to be. So there's one question I want to ask you. I'm going to ask every every speaker this year. I probably won't ask you every month, but right. in 2020, what's the one thing on your bucket list for this year? For you personally, not business-wise, you personally, that Aaron Bushko wants to do? Um, well, hopefully it's going to happen. Uh, my son and I are supposed to go out to Bandon Dunes in Oregon in May and uh, have a buddy's golf trip uh, because he gets married in June. So this is going to be our father-son uh golf buddies trip and we're really looking forward to it that's what's that's of course and then there's always my july fly fishing trip in montana which is sacred time so you know i can't do your sacred. podcast that week dave i'm i'm nothing happens that week except me and the me and the trout you know that might be interesting to actually talk with you while you're fishing on the, in the river <laughs> that could be that could be an interesting podcast i really think we should be careful i've had people say to me why are you a fly fisherman and i say because it's the most strategic of the sports they say, you mean you can't even get away from strategy when you're out on a trout stream? I say, well, heck no. I use, I use strategy all the time when I'm on a trout stream. <laughs> you know what, Aaron? Whenever it's a part of who you are and what you do, you enjoy doing it. And that's why I love talking with you and presenting these podcasts to our, uh, our audience. Folks, if, in fact, you've listened to us for the three seasons, continue to do so for this year. Like and share all of the avenues. Um, Probably won't find us on YouTube much this year because we're going to be doing these live streams on Podbean. Aaron, I thank you for your time today. Dave, it's always uh, my pleasure and my privilege. You know that. You know how much respect I have for what you do. uh, Well, uh, I think it's – we've said this before. I think we have a mutual admiration side going on here. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Folks, be sure that you join us uh, next time. Uh, Matter of fact, next time is going to be tomorrow – At 11 a.m., I'm going to be talking with Bill Fellows. He wants to talk about healthy cleaning and safety. Uh, Bill's going to be with us on a regular basis, so be sure to tune in tomorrow, 11 a.m., right here on Podbean Live. We'll stream again to you. This has been Dave Thompson. I am your host from the Academy of Cleaning Excellence. We air out of Orlando, Florida. By all means, whatever you do before we talk to you again, make sure that it is healthy, positive, and proactive. We'll see you later. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Bye, Aaron. Goodbye, Dave. Thank you.